Thanks for checking out the Refuge Official Podcast. Wherever you're from, we hope that this message will encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Woo! Okay. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm going to love with you all. I'm a little nervous, so we're just going to start this thing off Holy Ghost style. Thanks and prayer, okay? So if you join me. Um... Dear Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this opportunity to come in front of these uh, young adults and, and, and bring the word, God. I just pray that your presence just be here and that every ear that hears uh, what you have to share tonight, because really it is what you have to share tonight, God, that every ear that hears it is changed, God, because we know that when you are here, things change. Amen. Amen. Guys, I am so excited that God brought me here in this season. Did you know that God is here right now? The Bible says that when two or more are gathered in my name, that I am there. So let me just, one, two. Okay, we're good. We have two or more people. The king of the universe, the man who created every single thing on this planet, all of us, every single one of us is in this building. He's not listening on the podcast later. He's not watching the video. He's here right now celebrating his glory, his righteousness. He is here watching us praise and worship and we're closer to him. And that is so exciting. And I think if we all understood that God shows up every time there's multiple of, you know, God shows up whenever. God is always here. And if we understood that God was in this place, we would be more excited and we would be more prepared. Okay, I'm sorry. Here we are. Yes, it was three years ago. It was a little bit more than three years ago where I showed up at this church and I showed up in this spot and God changed my life forever. God showed up. God showed up in this place and that's why I know that God is going to show up in this place tonight as well because when God shows up, things happen. When God shows up, promises are given and when God shows up, people are changed. Amen? I am so thankful, Pastor Matt and Pastor Deb, that you're giving me an opportunity to speak. I would consider myself a son of this house, a son of this church, this community that took me in when I had nothing. I just felt lost and and lonely and worthless. And and Pastor Matt and Pastor Deb, you've really been like my surrogate Stevens Point parents. Um, And then shout out to my OG parents in the back row. Thank you so much for coming up from Madison. But I am, wow. When I was saved, when I was saved right over here, God showed up and God made a promise to me. And he said, if you follow me, if you change the way you're living, and if you follow after me, your life is never going to be the same. We worship a God of promises. Exodus 14, 14 says, the Lord will fight for you. Isaiah 40, 31 said, those who hope in the Lord, he will renew their strength and they will soar on wings like eagles. Jeremiah 29, 11 said, God knows the plans he have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And Psalms 37, 4 says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. God is here and he wants to give you everything that you 
Woo! Okay, God is here and he wants to give you everything, okay? And when he showed up, I began to burn bright for God and he changed my life. And I was excited and I was passionate and I was happier and I was full of joy and just things began to change and people around me began to notice and my life just didn't look the same and I kept growing and growing and I didn't become a perfect person and some of the chains came off me and some of the chains took longer to come off me and things began to progress and progress and progress and I was so on fire and I was so excited but eventually there came a time when things began to feel different there came a time when the feelings what we experience first the excitement the fire the passion that we get when God shows up in our lives began to change and I began to not feel God in the same way that I had once felt him and that was confusing because just a little bit previous, I felt like I could reach out my hand and God would be there to grab it. And then slowly, you know, day by day, month by month, I felt like God was a little farther away from my hand and he wasn't there to grab it in the same way. And I graduated from Stevens Point. I moved to Madison um, for a year. And eventually God kept getting after my heart and saying, there's a reason that you don't feel me in the same way that you once felt me. And he brought me back to Stevens Point, and he showed me, he began to show me through the, you know, help from Pastor Matt and just his word and, and through prayer that I was going through something called the wilderness season. You see, I was desperate. I was desperate to attain the promises that I knew that God had given me in my life, but I wasn't seeing the fruit of my labor. And I wasn't seeing that the promises that God had given me were coming closer. In fact, they started feeling like I was going the wrong direction. Like I wasn't going towards my promise, but I knew that God had had a plan for me. And eventually I realized that if I want to achieve the plan that God had for me, I had to figure out where I was. So I began to think and I began to pray. And God really told me, you know, Ben, you're in a wilderness season. You're in a wilderness season, and, and that's what I want to talk about today. The, uh, the sermon is entitled Embracing the Wilderness, and um, it's just such a personal message for me because it's, it's something that I'm working on day after day and trying to figure out how do I embrace the wilderness. So today we're going to talk about what exactly is a wilderness, what exactly is the wilderness, how do I know if I'm in a wilderness season, and then we're going to talk about what we can expect in a wilderness season. What happens in a wilderness season and how can I deal with it? Okay, I think it's such a relevant message, especially for young adults, when we're constantly changing, we're constantly having things progress around us. I graduated from high school, I came to college, I moved, I moved, I moved. I've moved every year for seven years. Things are changing. Things are constantly changing. and It's up to us to figure out how we can deal with that. Okay. So, what is the wilderness? Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. The wilderness is a season where God is changing us. To keep it simple, God is preparing us for the promises that he has for us through the wilderness. It's essentially a training ground designed to form us men and women into the people that God has designed so that we can carry out the promises that he has given to us, okay? The important thing to remember is that a season of the wilderness is something that all Christians go through. 
every single Christian will go through a season of wilderness where we feel like things aren't going our way, okay? This <laughs> legendary preacher, John Bevere, I love this quote. He says that wilderness is a time where our future and our promise and even the tangible presence of God feels far away and temptation is magnified in our life. It's essentially our where are you God moment, right? It's, we, I think we've all come to that point where we're just like, I don't understand why things aren't changing. I don't understand why, why, why aren't you showing up? I'm praying. I'm doing my job. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Why aren't you here? And that can be confusing and frustrating, but until we understand why that's happening, okay? In Job 23, 8 through 10, he says, but if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. And when he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Sometimes I think that we get trapped and lost and caught up in this idea that if God, if we're not seeing the tangible evidence of God, that God isn't working alongside us. I like to think of uh, rock climbing, okay? When you strap into a rock climbing gear and you start climbing a rock climbing wall, you're, all you're doing is looking up. You're looking up and you're trusting. You're trusting that below the person that is <laughs> strapped to you and making sure that you don't fall to your, you know, untimely death uh, is there. But you're not looking down. You're not constantly glancing down. I mean, unless you're afraid, I suppose. But you're not supposed to be looking down. You're looking up. You're trying to transfer You're trying to get upwards. Um, And that's the same thing with God in our wilderness season, okay? So, now that we have a little bit of grasp on the wilderness season, I want to jump forward. I want to go into uh, the story of the Israelites. And I want to examine uh, how the Israelites moved out of Egypt and into the wilderness, okay? But before we dive into that specific scripture, I thought it would be prudent to go over a little bit of information and backstory for the Israelites. Um, I'm sure most of you know the story, but uh, for those of you who don't, or for those of you who just want a refresher, we're going to go over it, okay? So, to make a long story short, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, (laughs) He created animals and plants, and he created Adam and Eve, and then Adam and Eve did this crazy thing where they disobeyed God, and they ate the fruit, and then God was like, you got to get out of the garden of Eden. And then they had a ton of descendants, right? They had Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and his brothers. And his brothers, not nice guys, sent Joseph packing off to Egypt. Joseph went to Egypt, okay? He saved Egypt from a famine. And you know what? He saved his brothers from a famine. He saved all of Egypt from a famine. That The Bible says that Joseph and his entire generation died out. And then we jump way, 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 way forward 430 years till we get to Moses. And I'll just stop right there. 430 years is a long time. If that doesn't tell us that we need to wait upon God's timing, I don't know what does, okay? Some of us struggle with just being single for a year, and the Israelites were enslaved for 430 years before God moved. We have to remember that God moves in his time, okay? So 430 years, God calls Moses. Little baby going down the Nile, okay? He ends up attacking an Egyptian. He leaves, burning bush. He grabs Aaron, yada, yada, yada. We're talking, he comes back, okay? We got plagues. We've got gnats and, you know, cows dying and river blood and firstborn's dead, okay? And eventually Pharaoh says, I've got enough of this. And he says, go, okay? There we are. 
Ja. So Pharaoh says, go. All right, that was like three pages of notes, so I'll just jump forward. Okay, so let's just jump right into the scripture. Pharaoh says, go. The Israelites, go. Okay, so we're going to jump right in there. Okay, I'm going to give you two scriptural passages, one from the New Testament, one from the Old Testament, that I think do an excellent job of paralleling each other and showing what it means to enter into the wilderness, to go into the wilderness. Okay, so Exodus 13, 21 says, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Okay, now let's compare that to Matthew 4. In Matthew 4 it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Okay, so we're going to go over both of those passages in more detail as we go on. But what I want you to notice right away is this. I'm going to go back. By day... The Lord went ahead of them. And then Matthew 4.1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. I think sometimes we get caught up in this idea that if we're in a place that we don't want to be, that the devil is the one that took us there. That the enemy is the one that brought us into a place that we didn't want to be. But the reality is that it's the Spirit, it's God himself, that leads us out of Egypt and into the wilderness. Okay? God brings us out. It wasn't the devil. It wasn't a horde of demons. God has set aside a time to build us up. God has set aside a time to make us the men and women of God that we need to become. And you know what? We need to go through a little bit of fire to get to the other side. Amen? Okay, James 1, 2 through 4 actually says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be complete, not lacking anything. The wilderness season is required and is necessary for us to become who we are supposed to become. All right, and there are three things. Well, there's a lot, but I'm, I chose three things, okay? You know, Whenever I went to go see a sermon, I always was like, another three-point sermon. Are you kidding me? Every pastor and their mother does a three-point sermon, a three-point sermon. And then I started to write a sermon, and I realized that the Bible is, <laughs> is big, right? The Bible has a lot of stuff. And so I realized that I needed to write a three-point sermon, because if I tried to write more, I would write a 30-point sermon, and we'd all be here till midnight. So I take it down to three out of respect for all of you, okay? So, you're welcome. All right. So the three things that we need to expect when we enter the wilderness are temptation, revelation, and transformation. I'm rocking that T-I-O-N vibe, okay? So, the first thing, temptation. So let's continue the verse from earlier, okay? Matthew 4.1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness... And then it goes on to say, to be tempted by the devil. Jesus entered the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And I love when the Bible gives us examples of Jesus living out exactly what we are going to be living out. Because Jesus was God himself become man. Jesus was perfect. Jesus is the shining example of who Christians should be. And still, Jesus entered the wilderness. 
And still, Jesus was tempted by the devil. And still, Jesus endured the trials and tribulations more so than any of us. So if Jesus, the greatest man in history, had to go through a wilderness season, we know (laughs) that we are definitely going to go through a wilderness season, if not more. Amen? All right. Hebrews 5 through 7, 7 through 8. This is going off the same thing that Jesus was tempted, okay? Hebrews 5, 7 through 8 says, During the days of Jesus' life, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to be the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. So I read that much, and I'm like, okay, that makes sense, right? Jesus prayed, and Jesus was, you know, knew how to be reverent to God. But then it goes on and says, Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. I'm going to repeat that. He learned obedience from what he suffered. The king of the universe became flesh and learned something. He, lo- he knew everything as a God. He knew everything. And then when he became a man, he took on flesh. And because he's so gracious and because he loves us so much, he said that he had to go through the same trials, the same tribulations, and the same learning process as we did. He, did not be, he was not born a baby genius. He was not born a baby Einstein. He had to learn what his parents, the church, and God eventually was going to teach him. And one of the ways he learned was through the temptation. Now, the temptation is a tool that the enemy uses to distract us, to hold us back, and ultimately position our eyes away from our promise and back on where we came from. One way in particular that the enemy targets the Israelites and all of us is by showing us the good things about our Egypt and magnifying the bad things about our wilderness. All right, Exodus 14, 12 says, listen, this is the Israelites speaking, okay? This is the Israelites after God, if I can remind you, saved them from 430 years of enslavement, caused the Red Sea to open, and then closed back up on Pharaoh's, gave them gold and silver and riches, saved them from the desert. Now, this is what the Israelites say in response to that. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. How quickly we forget God's goodness and how quickly we forget God's plan for us. Because the enemy's plan is to distract us from God's plan. And you know what? He's a master at it. He's a master at distraction, and that's why we need to be vigilant. The Bible says that the enemy comes like a lion in the night to steal, kill, and destroy, which is why we need to put on the armor of God and protect ourselves from the enemy coming to tempt us back to our old way of lives. I don't know about you guys, but I remember the way I used to live. And this way might be harder, but it's better, because the old way might satisfy your flesh, but I promise you the old way of living and sin and and drugs and alcohol and sex will never satisfy the spirit within you, only the flesh outside of you. And when your flesh is calling out because it doesn't like being in the wilderness, we have to remember that our spirit was never satisfied there. And ultimately we know that the only thing that's everlasting part of us is our spirit. And that is who we should be trying to feed. When I was, thank you. When I was going through this passage... God kept giving me this strange image. 
And I kept being like, this is weird. Why am I thinking of this? But I kept thinking of it, so I was like, okay, I guess I will put it in the sermon, okay? God made me think of The Princess Bride, okay? How many of you have seen The Princess Bride? Okay, amazing movie. For those of you who haven't seen it, I'm going to try to give you a quick recap of what I'm talking about. For those of you who have seen it, please don't come up to me afterwards and tell me that I got it wrong because I'm trying to do it quick because I'm already running out of time. Okay, so essentially this is what happens in The Princess Bride, okay? There comes a time where a man who's kidnapped a princess is sitting at a table and a man who's coming to rescue the princess comes and sits at that table, and they decide that they are going to engage in a battle of wits. Okay, they're going to not physically fight, but they're going to engage in a battle of wits. And so this is what they do. They take two cups of wine, and the man that came to rescue the princess turns around and puts poison in one of the glasses, he says. And then he turns back around, sets them down, and he says, you choose. You choose which cup to drink. I'll drink the other one. Whoever survives... We'll get the princess, okay? Pretty straightforward. Now, after a little bit of attempted trickery and a lot of conversation, the man with the princess drinks from the cup. And he dies very quickly and very suddenly. And the princess says to the man that's left, wow, I can't believe that you put the poison in his cup. And the guy says, I didn't put the poison in his cup. I put the poison in both cups, but I have an immunity to the poison, okay? And that's a long walk off a short pier, but I'm going to explain why that matters, okay? He has an immunity to the poison that he put in the cups, okay? So listen, he has an immunity to the poison. Remember that. We're going to jump to Matthew 20, 20 through 23, okay? Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. And I want to stop there for a second just because how awesome is it that in this passage, the mother is stepping forward on behalf of her sons. And I just want to shout out my mom in the back. When I got saved, I came home and told my mom that I got saved. Woo, okay. Okay, yes, I'm good. I told my mom that I got saved, and she said that she had been praying for years, and the Lord had said that it was going to take a long time for me to be saved. But she had been consistent, right? And amen, it did not take as long as I think she expected, which I'm happy about and I'm excited about. But we're so thankful to have parents that will supersede for us on the spiritual realm. And you can get your families saved. The Bible says if you get in your prayer closets, you can get your family saved. And so I love you, Mom. Dad, I love you too. Thank you. Okay. Okay. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. And you know what? Jesus says that to all of us because all of us, I think, will ask Jesus to do things for our lives that we haven't really thought out. Okay? We're constantly saying, Jesus, use me. You know, Make me a vessel. Show me what you have for me. But guys, make sure you understand what you're asking for because the Bible says that God will give it to you. 
If you ask for responsibility, the scariest thing that could happen is God says yes. So be sure you know what you're asking for before you ask it. But this mother knew, she knew who Jesus was, and she knew it doesn't matter the cost. It doesn't matter what it's going to take. I know that the reward, I know that the relationship is more important than the wilderness. It doesn't matter what I've gone through as long as the end result is good enough. And Jesus is good enough. We're going to go on. Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I am going to drink? I'm going to repeat that. Remember, the man poisoned both cups. Can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? We can, they answered. So why are the cups important? Why is the cup important? Because in the princess bride, the man poisons both drinks, but he was able to endure it Because he had built up an immunity for it. The reason we have to go through the temptation in the wilderness is because God knows unless we build up an immunity to temptation, unless we realize that we are going to be tested and tested often, we are never going to be accomplished what God has for us in the promise. We need to go through temptation before we can achieve what God has for us. Okay? I think of this image of a man or a woman teaching their child how to bike. And so you're teaching your child how to bike, and they're using training wheels. And eventually you have two wheels, but you're helping push them along. You're helping push them along. But eventually you have to let go of the bike, and the person on the bike, the kid, has to learn how to ride for themselves. Eventually the person on the bike has to figure out that they have to bike on their own, and they're going to fall. They are not going to be able to endure everything on their on their own. But God knows that unless we go through the falls, unless we go through the temptation, unless we learn to pick ourselves up again, that we will never achieve the promise that he has for us. Temptation is for us to test ourselves. Temptation is for us to learn what we can be. God already knows our future. He knows the plans. Do you think God needs to test us to know if we can survive the testing? Absolutely not. But God needs to allow us to be tested so we know that we can survive the testing. So we know that we can endure all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? We have to go through temptation. And then we get to go through revelation. That's the second thing that you can expect in the wilderness season. Listen, David... John the Baptist, the other John, every John, whatever, Paul, Elijah, all these men sir, received their major revelations in the wilderness. And I know that seems counterintuitive to what I said earlier because I said that the wilderness is a time where God is not so close to us. So how can God be not so close to us but at the same time be giving us season of revelation? And I'm going to tell you because God doesn't always speak through the thunderstorm. God speaks in a whisper and God speaks in the secret place. God speaks when we are ready to hear, and we need to learn how to hear the voice of God, and we'll never learn how to hear the voice of God unless there's lots of other noise happening around us, because it's easy to hear someone that's right next to you, but it's hard to learn and hear the voice of God when it's not so easily accessible. It's also important to understand the difference between a personal revelation and a heavenly revelation. Sometimes God will give us an image or a picture, or words. And it's just such an amazing feeling to get just a tangible touch of the Father. But sometimes we learn through a personal revelation, through a personal experience. 
And it's not always God coming down and telling you you shouldn't lie as much. But sometimes it's learning that lies have consequences. We need to learn things ourselves to not only know it here, but to know it here. And what else is good to remember is that the wilderness can also be a time of mountaintop revelations. So sometimes you will get a personal revelation, but sometimes, like God did with the Ten Commandments and Moses, he will show up on a mountainside and he will show you the way that you're going. God will show you the mountaintop or he will show you the path in front of you. Sometimes you feel lost, but I promise you that God will show you one of those two. You won't always get the end result. You won't always get the mountaintop. You won't always know, and that's something I struggle with because I don't know exactly what I'm going to do in my life. I don't know exactly where I'm going to go, but I know that if I don't see the mountaintop, then God is going to illuminate the path at my feet, and I am going to learn where to walk even if I don't know the final destination, and that is why we need to be aware and ready to receive revelation from God. It isn't a coincidence that the first thing that the Israelites complained about when they entered the desert is a lack of water. It is not a coincidence because we know that water means life. That water means transformation. John 7, 37b through 38 says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. God desires to change us into people that can sprout living water. Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. So as we're working towards sprouting, or spouting, not sprouting, spouting um, water, sometimes we say, okay, I can learn, I can be still and know that I am God. But the trap there is that being still does not mean stopping. And it doesn't mean being apathetic. And it doesn't mean always waiting on a move from God. Because I learned as I prepared this sermon that sometimes when we are waiting on a move from God, God is waiting on a move from us. Amen? All right. God has to become our number one choice. And that's the major revelation of the wilderness is God needs to become your number one. God needs to become the number one choice because until you leave everything else behind, until you stop looking backwards, until you forget about the things that you left behind and learn that the future is better than the past and that our God is better than the best thing on earth and he just becomes our number one choice, we will never be completely fulfilled. You will never find fulfillment in your job. You will never find fulfillment in your spouse. You will never find fulfillment in your kids until you find fulfillment in the Lord. And that is so hard to learn. Because I came to Pastor Matt many times this year and said, I just don't understand. I just feel like the job is not giving me what I necessarily want. You know, I like the job. I'm having, you know, I'm having a good cho- time, but why am I not feeling as filled up as I could be? And we, you know, discovered that fulfillment comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from anything else. And then once your fulfillment comes from the Lord, your fulfillment will come from everything else, which is crazy, but it doesn't come the other way around. It has to come Lord first, everything else second. Temptation, revelation, and the best one, transformation. There are many things that happen in the wilderness. It's a time of sacrifice. It's a time of preparation, a time to learn how to ask for help, a time of self-discovery, purification, renewed strength. But ultimately, all of these things compound into this little egg of transformation. 
And I was writing this, and I was thinking, hold up. When I got saved, I got transformed. When I got saved, my life changed. I was born again. Now I have to change again, again? It was confusing. I didn't quite understand what that meant. But then God showed me this, is that in order to reach your promise, you have to transform because God can't bless the person that you're not. God can't bless the person that you're not. And God needs to use the best of you to achieve your promise. And until you become a vessel that is able to achieve that promise, you'll never be able to reach it. So we can come back to the Israelites. And right from the beginning, we saw that they were complainers. Right from the beginning, we saw they were complainers. Three days. Three days out of Egypt. And they're complaining about water. These people just saw 12 plagues. And the Red Sea open up. And God saved them time and times again. And three days in, they're complaining. Three days in, they say, God, we know you're big and you can do miracles, but we think we know what we need. And we think we need water. And you know what? They did. They did need water. That's not a want. That is a need. But they went about it the wrong way. And they complained. And they complained. And they complained. And you know what the craziest thing that happened after they complained? It's God gave it to them. God just gave him the water. God didn't say anything. He didn't say, stop complaining. He gave him the water. Because he's like, you know what? You're about to go through the wilderness. And you're about to get changed. Okay? Let's jump forward a little bit. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. This is so good. Okay. Let's jump forward a little bit. All right. Two verses later. They complained about water. God showed up and gave him water. Two verses later. 57 words later, 57 words. I can say that in like 10 seconds, but 57 words in the NIV Bible, they're complaining again. (laughs) They didn't learn their lesson. They're complaining again. They're like, we need food this time. And they did need food, but they didn't need to complain. And God once again said, okay, here's your food. Here's what you asked for. Because God sometimes doesn't need to always publicly rebuke us. We need to learn, like I said earlier, sometimes we need to learn from personal revelation, not heavenly revelation. And what you need to know and learn right now is that complaining is always an affront to God. Complaining is always an affront to God, and it's telling God that you don't think that he has your best interests in heart. When I can tell you that God has a greater vested interest in you achieving your promise than you do. Because what is the promise? Is us living out (laughs) what God wants us to live out. Us expanding the kingdom. Us finding out how we can better serve God. Do you think that we want that as much as God? Absolutely not. God wants us to expand the kingdom. And we do too, but not as much as God. Because whose kingdom is it? It's God's kingdom. He has more invested in our futures than we do. So when we say, God, I don't understand why you don't want to be happy, why you don't want me to be happy, God can tell you that I want you to be happy, and I know that this won't make you happy. So God responded and gave them what they need, even through the complaining. So, we move forward. And eventually they do arrive at the promised land. They send in 12 spies. 10 spies come back and say, nah. 
Too big. Not for us. Two spies come back and say, we got it. We know God's with us. But the ten outnumbered the two and convinced the rest. Convinced the rest that they didn't have it. And that resulted in 40 years of wilderness extra. The Bible says that they were going to experience the wilderness for one year. They always were going to experience the one year. They weren't going from Egypt straight into the promised land. They always were going to stay one year. But they complained, and they didn't trust God. And so it turned into 40 years. Now, is that a punishment? Absolutely not. You need to understand the wilderness season is not a punishment. It's, not, it's never a punishment. But God knew that some things take time to figure out. And some things need generations to die out before we can effect change. And you do not want to be part of the generation that needs to die out before we see change. You absolutely do not. This is what you need to understand is you can never shorten your wilderness. God always had a year set aside for them. But if we look at the Israelites, we understand that you can absolutely lengthen it. You can absolutely lengthen your wilderness season if you don't have your eyes on the prize. We need to utilize the power of our voice and our tongue properly to get away from temptation, to seek after revelation, and to achieve transformation. I'm going to leave you with this, okay? And if the worship band wanted to come up and join me. The promised land was 240 miles away from Egypt. 240 miles, that's Stevens Point to Chicago. 240 miles, well, it's 250, but whatever. Round it. 240 miles to get to the promised land from Egypt. You can walk 240 miles in a week. Absolutely, you can walk 240 miles in a week. But sometimes the promise that you're going to achieve, what God has for you, isn't far away. But that doesn't mean that we don't take a long time to get there. So sometimes we think, oh, it's taking so long because ultimately I'm going to end up somewhere crazy. But that couldn't be further from the truth. We are in the wilderness as long as it takes us to figure it out. Because it's not a length issue. It's a time issue. And it's a knowledge issue. If we had everything figured out, God will let us go in. If we know what we're doing, God will let us go in. If I have enough knowledge, I can take that GED and I can get the high school degree. You don't need to spend all that time. People graduate early all the time because they have the knowledge. But it takes the knowledge and it takes the ability to enter into the wilderness. The wilderness is a hard place to be in. But when you're struggling and when you're thinking, I don't understand why I can't hear God. I don't understand why I can't feel God. You need to remember that this is a wonderful time to learn and to seek after what the Heavenly Father has set aside for you. If I could leave you with one thing, it's that you need to burn your boats. Forget about the past. Forget about your Egypt, because once you leave Egypt, you don't want to go back. You need to learn the love, the time that God has set aside to mold you and to grow you. We need to become comfortable with being uncomfortable because God wants you to embrace the wilderness. 
I know that there are some of you today here today that maybe have never made a commitment to Jesus and maybe have never realized exactly what he wants to do in your life and that he has set aside a promise for you, each and every one of you. Or there are some of you here that might have made a commitment but need a time of rededication, of understanding and accepting that the wilderness period, period is not God abandoning you, but it's God allowing you to grow up. If that's you today, I don't, I want, actually, I want all of you, if you could, every head bowed, all eyes closed, if you could join me in this prayer to just seek after the Father. Dear Lord, thank you for the promises that you've spoken over my life. I trust that you are the Lord of the universe, that you are the Alpha and Omega, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. I accept you, Jesus. I surrender to you. I know that I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. And I'm here today to say that, Jesus, you're it. I'm all in. I'm about to embrace the wilderness. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect further with Refuge, feel free to go online to wearerefuge.net or on social media at wearerefuge.